This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I spoke at our local church a few days ago, and I thought that it would be good for me to share with you what I shared with the church. I wasn't quite sure what to name this episode. I cover a lot of ground. I talk about pilgrimage and what it is to have the abundant life and what it is to be a disciple. But the overarching theme is what is the Lord saying to the church today? Also, you'll hear me share a couple of prophetic words before I get into my prepared remarks. And as I've said before, I do this fairly often when I'm speaking at churches before I go up, usually during the singing time that precedes the talk, I'll pray and see if the Lord has something for me to share with people, specific things to share, a word that will encourage or comfort or build up someone or some group of people in the fellowship that day. And just to give you a little feedback, after the service, a man came up to me and said that one of these two words was definitely for him, the second one that you'll hear me share. And he was shaking with excitement. The Lord was clearly speaking to him. You could see life happening in his spirit as he was very, very encouraged by what I shared. And he knew that it was a word from God for him, and it was very encouraging to him. And as he and I spoke after the service, the Lord gave me a few other things to share with him that were very helpful. So I encourage you, keep your ears open to what God is saying in the moment, whether it's in a situation like I was in, or actually yesterday I had lunch with somebody, and in the middle of the meeting I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to share with this person? And I heard a few things and shared them, and they had a good effect. They very much encouraged this other person to walk with the Lord and abide in the Lord and trust the Lord and let his power flow through them. So I very much encourage you to listen and obey because God wants his blessings not just to land on you, but to flow through you to the people around you. So now I'll go ahead and let you listen to the remarks that I shared. And as always, if you have anything you'd like to say to me, any feedback you'd like to give, feel free to contact me at the email address ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. Thank you, Bill, very much. Thank you all very much. I never quite... Gotcha. Oh, yeah, Children's Church. Yeah, that's right. Anybody that's young at heart, if you would come over here. Yeah, the room would empty out, I hope. I want to thank Bill for giving me the opportunity to speak again. It really is an honor. And Bill has asked me to talk about things that I see going on globally, but... I want to take a minute. As I was praying before the service, there were some things that came on my heart, and I want to share them. And I think I may have a word for somebody here. Just something came on my heart and some, some things to share, so I'll just take a second to do that. So this may be for you. It may be for somebody that you know. I had a sense that somebody here is very, very afraid right now, like really terrified, very, very afraid. 
and uh, feel like God has uh, something for you, and I just feel like I should share it. There's this, yeah, just really very afraid right now, a deep fear. And it's a fear in such a way that you're not even sure what you're afraid of. God is aware of this fear that you have. And I wrote down a few things here. Since I don't know who I'm talking to, I think I'll allow myself to be a little bit bold. But this is what I wrote down. The first thing is you've allowed your focus to be on yourself. You're afraid and you're not even sure what you're afraid of, but part of that is because you've allowed yourself to be very self-concerned. And the Lord is saying now's the time for maturity. And as we know, uh, for mature believers, it's turning our eyes off of ourselves, off of our self-concern and on to him, turning our our hearts away from ourselves and self-protection and trusting him to be our rock and our refuge. And I feel like the Lord is saying now's the time for you to Step into maturity, something that you know is there, and you're just not in it right now. You're just really afraid. And the word is something that the Lord said very often, fear not, for I am with you. I'm not trying to tell you to gut it out and make yourself unafraid. I'm saying don't be afraid because God is with you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? So let's just, all of us, turn our heart, our our mind's eye off of ourselves and onto him. Our faith is not in ourselves. It's not in our own strength. It's in him, his character, his promises. Uh, the other thing I wrote down is just a few words, but maybe it's uh, maybe it'll be helpful. I feel like there's somebody here who's facing a pretty serious decision in life. I don't know what that is, but it's, it's kind of a, a big crossroads in life or the turning of a chapter. And you're anxious and you feel like, You've got to make this decision soon. Like You feel pressure on you to make a decision. And I feel like the word of the Lord is to be patient. He's telling you, don't let all that anxiety cling to you. Just be patient. He'll reveal the right thing at the right time. This decision will be made in peace, not in anxiety. And then I had the phrase come to mind. I think this is from my own mind. But shake it off was the phrase. Just, you know how it is? Sometimes you just got to go, ugh, you know, just shake it off, kind of loosen up a little bit. So I feel like that's the attitude the Lord wants you to have as you're in the middle of this big decision-making process. You shake off that anxiety. Just don't let it, don't let it uh, bind you up or concern you at all. Just be patient. Shake it off, and uh, you will make this decision. It'll be the right decision, and it'll be done in peace. So, okay. I'll move on here. Uh, Probably most people here know us. I moved to Russia 20 years ago. I've been living over there all that time, but regularly return here over the years for different reasons. It's always great to be here. The work that I'm involved in covers many different countries, many different parts of the globe, actually. Though it's not global, because I really don't do any work in Asia. (laughs) But I've visited lots of churches here in the United States. Of course, I lived here in the States for many years. Our work, the ministry that I'm involved in, we have projects in Russia, of course, up in Norway, Estonia, I'll go north to south, Montenegro, Serbia, Romania, Moldova, and then also I'm involved with ministries in Uganda and Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So I've visited fellowships in all of those countries. I have experience in a variety of different cultures. Europe, of course, is not one monolithic culture. All of these different people groups have their own cultures and things like that. 
And Bill had asked me to talk about what is the Lord saying to churches in the world? What is he doing? What is he saying to the church here in the USA? So I prayed about that. I was, uh, that's a pretty big question, really. So where I came to is something that I've been pondering as I visited these different countries. And what I see happening in the church, remember, there is one church of God. We are one fellowship. We are one part of his church, his global church. What I see happening in, around the globe is that the world is getting into Christian fellowships. There's a, you know, a term, secularism. But worldliness finds its way into Christian fellowship. And that looks different in different cultures because the cultural forces in these different cultures are different. Because I've traveled around, I, some things will stand out. I'll go, why are they doing that? And then I realize, well, that's part of the culture they're in is getting into the church culture. And it's happening here in the USA, as I'm sure many or most of you are aware. We do have to be mindful that when we're in our home culture, we're very much like a fish in water. A fish is unaware that it's in water because that's normal. That's what is normal. And when I moved to Russia, it took me at least a couple of years before I began to feel like an outsider here. After a couple of years, I began to realize, oh, I'm, this is not my culture anymore. It's moving on, and I'm not in it. So I know that I have a particularly different perspective, certainly from most people that stay in their home cultures exclusively. So that's why I want to talk about some of this today, is that God's kingdom is completely different from the kingdom of this world. His kingdom is completely different. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses that imagery of being born again. Like you start over, you know, you're, you're born into the family of God. William Temple was the Archbishop of Canterbury back in the 1940s. And he said something that struck me when I heard it and then have thought about it quite a bit. He identified English culture at the time as a sentimental and hedonistic generation. And what he meant by that, being English, the word sentimental really means emotion-driven, driven by emotions. And hedonism is self-focus, self-pleasure, self-comfort. That's what hedonism is. So he was identifying English culture at the time, back in the 40s, as being sentimental and hedonistic, driven by emotion and driven by a desire for pleasure, self-focus. And I thought, my goodness, how much further down the road is our culture now than back in the 40s? And I'm talking now about how secularism works its way into the church. What is American culture but sentimentality and hedonism? Driven by emotion, so much so that now if something feels good, it must be right. And if something feels bad, it must be wrong. The feeling is the thing that identifies our placement of the truth or the falsity of something. I mean, the, the, all of, almost all of advertising is that way. If it feels good to you, then it's the right thing for you. If it feels bad, boy, nowadays it seems like if somebody says something that makes you feel bad, well, then they probably shouldn't be saying that. It's the, the feeling that it evokes is the value 
not the truth of what is said or the right of somebody to say something that makes you feel bad. Sentimentality and hedonism. That is finding its way into the church. And we need to be really careful about that. We Americans need to be really careful that we're not being driven by our emotions and our our desire to feel good, and we're not being driven by uh, surrounding ourselves with things that give us pleasure. Because Jesus very often said things that made people uncomfortable. And he said things that went in opposition to the direction of the culture. We We need to be really mindful of that. Another thing here in the USA that I see is this idea of American corporatism. There's a value for a corporate mentality that can find its way into the church. And uh, one example that I gave, a friend of mine is associate pastor of a church north of Austin. And I was talking to him. And the leadership team on the church is made up of retired executives from Walmart or AT&T or things like that. And that's the leadership team. And their primary focus is just making sure that the money's handled well and they get a a good return on their investment, right? And these men are put in position because they were very successful in the corporate world. But they don't really have on their agenda any idea of the spiritual health or protection of the fellowship. They just want to make sure all the numbers line up and to such a point that they're really not taking into consideration the the spiritual well-being of the flock. Now, I would say they're probably excellent deacons, people that are set aside to help run the church, make sure everything is going well, but they're actually in a position of spiritual authority and the value is on their corporate experience. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not offending anybody. We just have to be really careful about that. In the kingdom, leaders of a church are called to be shepherds and watchmen, to, to guide and to care and all of us are called to live spiritual lives. And sometimes being a Christian means you do things that appear to be foolish. The money's not spent in perhaps the best way. We're not even thinking about return on investment, things like that. It's a different kingdom. God's way is just really different. So we've got to be careful about that. Also, I've mentioned it here for the American church. America is a spectator culture. And, I, you know, I have to say we're in one right now. Everybody's sitting there facing me and I'm standing here talking. And so we just have to be really, really careful not to let that secular idea that we are consumers and church is a place where we go to consume and then we put our money uh, in the direction of what pleases us and that we, we're spectators, we sit back and watch while other people do, you know, I don't know, in the church, in the case of the church, the spiritual work or something like that. That spectator culture can come in. Oh, just it, it's so easy to get in. And especially now with media, you can tune in on the internet or, you know, you're just consumers, this consumer spectator mentality. We have to be careful about that because each one of us in this room, we're called to be light. We're called to be active in the kingdom. We're, we're like grains of salt that are spread through the culture and where you're working is where God wants you to be because he wants his kingdom in the middle of that place. So church isn't a place where we just come to consume things that please us, it really should be a place where we come to die to ourselves so that his life will flow up and out through us. Also, here, this is true really around the world, but here in the States, the moral decline is really getting into the church now. Just accepting the world's statement of what is morally good and what is morally evil. 
And that line is becoming clearer and clearer, I think, in the church in America now. And I'd just tell a story. A friend of mine moved to Chicago, and I was asking her about her church, her new church. And it was a fellowship, kind of a young church, and it was young professionals, and she was probably in her mid-20s at the time. And um, she said, oh, it's great. You know, I just love the fellowship. Everybody there is so great. And the worship time is good, and the teaching is good, and they have home groups and small groups. And she said, but there's one thing. When we have a small group meeting, I mean, it's just so good, but everybody gets drunk. Yeah, me too. All right? I was like, huh? Because they're in a drinking culture. All the young professionals up in Chicago, apparently, they go out, they drink, they get drunk. That's just part of social life. That's kind of expected. I personally have been in situations like that here in America where it's kind of a drinking culture. That's clearly secularism coming into the church. It's clearly unscriptural. And yet to them, they're allowing that worldliness to come in to the fellowship. And they accepted it. That was a normal part of getting together, hanging out. I'm not saying it to condemn them. I'm saying to point out how easy it is for things like that to to come into our churches. We've just got to be careful not to let this moral, the moral life or the definitions of what is moral in the world come in here. We really have to cling to what God says is true. We just have to. His kingdom is so different. And at times we're going to be having friction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And we, as believers, we need to be mindful of all that, really thoughtful about it. In Europe, interestingly, these things that creep in, and I won't talk about this much, but atheism is getting into the church in Europe. (laughs) That's hard to imagine, isn't it? I do want to say, though, I think the church in the United States is lagging behind where the church in Europe has gotten to. A friend of mine, Arne, he's a Lutheran priest in Norway, and he told me that his bishop is an atheist, an avowed atheist. The bishop has made a professional decision to be a churchman and to live that life in church and to move up through the ranks, but he's not a follower of God, he's an atheist. And my friend Arne told me that he is not going to leave the Lutheran church because he wants to be sure that there's a Christian in the pulpit when people come into that church building. The Lutheran church is his mission field. Isn't that something? I talked to a man named Tarmo Kunis. He's a Finn. He's on the board of the Finnish Lutheran church, one of the top guys. And he told me, he said, I am on the board of the Finnish Lutheran church, and I'm an atheist. Can you imagine? I talked to some Finns, and they told me, they said, that they knew that I have the faith that their grandfathers had, but they don't have it anymore. So that's secularism getting in. In Africa, it's tribalism. The definition of a tribe is a much stronger community than any sense of being a citizen of any particular country, and it also can override being in the kingdom of God in such a way that churches are set against each other. You have members of different tribes and The tribes can even call the other church the enemy church. That's a phrase I've heard in Africa. That tribalism, but it's all secularism, worldliness getting in. So what is God saying to his people now? He is saying, come out. Come out of all that stuff. That's what I think he's saying. 
everywhere this message will resonate. The people of God need to just leave that world behind and move into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't believe he's saying completely separate ourselves from this world because Jesus said we're to be in the world but not of the world. That's so important. Jesus actually himself did that very thing, didn't he? He came from a place where he was very protected from the sins and the horrors of human existence, and he came into this world. He came here to bring that light and life and truth, and that's our role as well. So I'm not saying move out to the country and become a hermit, but we in our spirits, we've got to come out of this world system. We have to come out so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. And this is where Psalm 84 comes in. I'll talk through this a little bit. I don't know if you could, if it was on the screen, but if you could put it up there again. Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Well, that's the first thing that I'll focus on. The blessing flows when our strength is in God, not in ourselves. Our strength is in him. And Bill mentioned it. We should work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who actually does the work in us, both to will to do his work And he gives us the power to do his work. That's the new covenant. That God says, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'll renew your spirit and I will put my spirit in you. That's the new covenant. And that's where we need to be living. Our strength is in him. Blessed are those who have their hearts set on pilgrimage. We don't really have this tradition in the States, but throughout time there has been a tradition of pilgrimage. People leaving their homes and going to a holy place. And while they're going to a holy place, they're on pilgrimage. They're passing through. And we should be a people who have our heart set on pilgrimage. We are passing through this world. We don't put roots down. We're pilgrims here. We're passing through. Jesus himself said when some of the disciples looked up at the um, temple, they said, oh, what a great building. And he said, you know, there's going to come a time when not a single stone is going to be left on top of the other. This great temple is temporary. And I've said it, this building here is temporary. There'll come a time when not a single brick is on top of the other one here. We're passing through this world. We are pilgrims. And look what happens to these people on pilgrims. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it into a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. This word Baca means weeping, a valley of weeping. It's also the name of a plant that grows in very dry places. So as we, as God's people, pass through a valley of weeping and dryness, a desert, we Make it a place of pools and spring rain. The hedonist says, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid a desert. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid a place of weeping. And the people of God say, we're following the Lord. And sometimes that leads us right through a place of sorrow and dryness. And our role is to bring his blessing into those places. That's the image here. And that's our role. That's what he wants of us. And it says that they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. Strength to strength. Our strength is in him. We move from strength to strength. There's another scripture that says we move from glory to glory. That's God's way. God's way is always growth and fruitfulness and life. 
And there are times of pruning when something that was fruitful gets cut back, but that's only so that it'll bear more fruit. That's God's way. We go from strength to strength. And we're moving to that place where we ultimately will land at home. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We need to keep in mind how worldliness enters into the church. And how is that? It's through individual hearts. That's how the world enters into the church. It's in our hearts. And we need to be, boy, we need to keep up with that. Each one of us. We don't assign the blame on others. It's like, I need to abide in the Lord and rest in him and let him do his work. Let him purify me so that I'm not going to be a source of worldliness in the church. Each one of us here. That's our role, to individually abide in him and love him and let him do what he's going to do. Keep our eyes on him. Amen. In Colossians 2.8, the other scripture, I'll talk about that for just a second here. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The first thing that stands out to me here is if we follow these worldly philosophies, we are taken captive. We're enslaved. We're limited. And it's, it's so very true. If we limit ourselves to the way the world does things, we're actually very limited, enslaved, held back from the fullness that God has for us. And he came so that we would have freedom. He can do more than you can ask or even imagine. And if we base our understanding of God or what we're going to do or our lives on the world philosophies and the world systems, we're going to be very limited. But look how they're defined here. They're hollow and deceptive. These world's ways of thinking, I'd say advertising, is a big one right now where the the world's way of thinking gets pumped into our households through the TVs and the videos. It's hollow and it's deceptive. It really is deceptive as if buying the right item is going to bring you happiness or meaning or satisfy your longings. That's deceptive and it's hollow. It really is empty philosophy. And they depend on human traditions and the basic principles of this world. And what I like here is what Paul has written is you've got the basic principles of this world and Christ. Paul is not saying don't base your your life on the philosophies of the world, base them on the philosophies of Jesus. He doesn't say that. He says, don't base your life, don't be ensnared by these philosophies of the world. You need to be built on Christ himself. Not his teaching, not his philosophy, not his way of thinking, him. One of the disciples said to Jesus, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way to where you're going? And Jesus said, oh, well, you do know the way, I am the way. He's not here just to tell us how to live a good life. He is the good life. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We really need to keep that in our heads. We're not just here to do religious observances. We're here to be grafted in so the life of God can flow through his people. We need to be based on Christ himself. The media is made up mostly of non-believers. They're not going to give you God's perspective on things. Well, how to come out of the world, how not to be in the world. That's a good question, and that's going to look very different for different people. I wouldn't dare to give prescriptions on what that means for any individual. 
The Holy Spirit himself will show you how to come out of the world, how to set aside worldliness. God will make it clear. No one else is going to do it for you. Remember, God will give you the desire and the ability to be obedient. Some people say that their prayers are never answered. Would you like to have a would you like to know a prayer that will almost always get answered? This is good, a good one. Lord, is there anything in me that is not pleasing to you? God will answer that prayer. Lord, is there any worldliness in me that is not pleasing to you? He'll give you the desire to change and he'll give you the ability to change it. We're all at different places in life. That's going to look very different, but that's where it comes down to. We need to be so careful about these things. And I'll close now with the three necessary elements of being a Christian. And it's really good to be reminded of this. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there are three elements there, three necessary elements of what it is to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. The first is the abandonment of self, self denial. That really goes against the pressure of this American culture for hedonism and sentimentality. Self denial. As a matter of fact, there are philosophers and teachers who will tell you that it's impossible for a human being to deny themselves. The materialist will say everything we do is because we ultimately want to gratify ourselves. And that's a lie. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. Second, take up your cross, and that is an acceptance of suffering. Whatever it means for you to take up a cross daily, it's going to mean some amount of suffering. The cross is not a place where you die. It is a place where you ultimately die. But remember, it would take days for people to die on a cross. It's a place of uh, going through hard things. It's necessary to go through hard things if we're going to follow Jesus. Because he wants us to be in the middle of the hard things. He wants his people in the middle of hard things. And the third thing is to follow him, and that's obedience. It is absolutely necessary that we walk with him. We don't stand with Jesus and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he whispers in our ear, and then we run on and do that, and then we meet him later. Okay, I've done that. Now what? That's not the way it is in the kingdom. We walk with him. We follow him. That's what a disciple is, somebody who is with the master, takes meals with the master, listens to the master, is obedient to the master. We surrender everything to be with Jesus. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And then he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for me, will find it. Uh, That is so contrary to the ways of the world. Especially here in the States, we're just called to take up our life, to find meaning for our life, to gather things to us that make us feel good or But Jesus is saying, if you try to take up your life, if you try to save it, you're going to lose it. But if we surrender, if we really let go for his sake, not for our sake, but for his sake, then we're going to find it. He said, in the manner that you give, 
you're going to receive back, pressed down, shaken, and overflowing. And that's life, brothers and sisters. When we give our life, the more we surrender, the more he gives back. Life. And it's abundant life is what he says. You know, a full life. So let's be a people that say no to the world and yes to the Lord, his kingdom. A people who deny ourselves and are willing to go through suffering uh, for the sake of Jesus. So that in the end, we'll be recipients and springs of living water. And we'll be a blessing to the people around us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, anything that you have said today through my voice, anything that's of you, I pray that it will take root and bear fruit. And anything that's not of you, I pray, Lord, that it'll just fall away and be forgotten. God, we only want your will. May your will be done, not ours. And Father, I pray for this fellowship, that not only as individuals would they abide in you, but as a congregation, they would really function as your body on this earth, that as a fellowship, together, your blessings would flow from this place to the people around us. Lord, give us ears to hear, and God, I'm reminded that your ways are not our ways, and that you oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. So Lord, help us all to be humble. Amen.